powered by Riverside. Well, we are back, and I tell you what, it has been an interesting couple of weeks. Of course, uh, limited football taking action with all the ongoings over in England and the passing of the Queen. Of course, the last time we were all together, Liverpool were busy drawing with Everton, and Manchester United put an end to Arsenal's unbeaten season. The following week, fixtures were then called off, and of course, we had a couple of cancellations on the weekend where Chelsea and Liverpool were suspended, or postponed rather. United and Leeds was also called off, along with Brighton and Crystal Palace, throwing up an absolute turmoil, I would imagine, for the rearranging of those fixtures, Wade. So I do have my one colleague back here, which is Wade. Rudz will be joining us a bit later, and he drives home from his... Uh, I don't even know where he is. He's probably just taking in the sights in Melbourne. But Wade... Uh, Let's start there. It's going to be an interesting uh, position to see how they re, um, I suppose, position these uh, fixtures later in the year, given the World Cup. It's crazy. Um, there's probably never been a season like it, to be honest. I mean, especially with the World Cup throwing a big spanner in the works and then now the Queen's passing and it's just going to be fixtures after fixtures. It, it was already going to be tight, you know, knowing how it was before, but yeah, I don't know. And there was I, I thought they were actually going to cancel this weekend's games as well. There was talk about I it at one so stage too. that, you know, yeah, that they were going to cancel this weekend as well. So I was like, where the heck are they going to put all these fixtures? But look, let's see how they arrange it as fans. It's more football for us. And I guess it's going to come down to which squads can stay the fittest as well because that's going to be crucial now. So maybe that five-sub rule kind of came in at the right time, all things considered. Well, it looks like Klopp was onto something when he was banging on about it forever and a day because I think in this season, in any, five subs is probably extremely important. Um, I found it strange. Maybe you can help me understand, but they obviously cancelled the London games, being Chelsea and Liverpool, but Spurs' game went ahead. Um, yeah, well, they cancelled ours as well. We were meant to play uh, PSV at home during the week. Yep. Uh, and that was a midweek game, that. yeah. It was a midweek game, but then Spurs played in the Champions League at home, I'm pretty sure, during the week as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, I think they did have a home game. No, so they that played away. They played away, did they? Yeah. Um, yeah they did okay. play at home on the weekend against Leicester. Against Leicester, yeah. And then you said there were some other London games that were cancelled, though, wasn't well, there? Well, the Chelsea-Liverpool so... game was cancelled, yeah. I don't know. I have no idea Strange what's one. going on. Um, I don't know what the planning has been like, but... Yeah, it just adds to the fixture pileup, I guess. So, Well, I read somewhere that in the second half of the season, really, because there's no chance of any games being caught up between now and the World Cup because basically every team um, involved in Europe is playing twice a week all the way through. There's only five midweeks available after the, the second half of the season. So <laughs> you don't have a lot, of, a, a lot of time. And that's not taken into account if there's additional League Cup, if there's FA Cup games, it's not even taken into account that. So it'll be interesting for sure. But I guess we saw the results this weekend. Of course, Aston Villa getting a, a hard-fought win against Southampton in what was described as a pretty dire game. We saw Nottingham Forest lose at home to Fulham, 3-2. 
And, of course, we saw Manchester City and the goal court scoring machine that is Erling Haaland, the cyborg made out of the Terminator factory, um, score another one in a 3-0 comfortable, easy win for Manchester City. Of course, we saw Newcastle with a little bit in different form, difficult to beat, but drawing a lot of games, drawing with Bournemouth at home. And we did see a masterclass. No, I'm not going to call it a masterclass, but they did win 6-2 somehow in a game that was dis- that was not a 6-2 game for, by all accounts from what I've read and seen um, in terms of the experts' opinion. And I will get my colleagues' uh, views on that one. But, of course, we did also see a pretty classy performance from the Gunners as they put Brentford to the sword and turned around that uh, defeat from the opening day of last season. And, of course, um, Everton seeming to look something like a team these days, grinding out a hard-fought win against West Ham, who kind of looked to be in no man's land. So, Wade, I mean, the London derby is the big one that's coming up when we return from the international break. So, I need to start, I need to ask the question, are Arsenal title contenders? (laughs) <laughs> i'm just <laughs> chuckling because that seems to be the the hot topic at the moment you know i mean listen if we're looking at the table right now then the answer is yes obviously but i mean it's a long season it's a long 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 season ahead uh, to me i'm looking at city every time i see them playing i'm just wondering how anyone's going to stop them to be to be completely honest I well, mean, are you are you watching them and so is there Look, I know as a fan what it's like, right? Is With each passing week, when you build this momentum and win, is there this little uh, voice in the head going, hmm, maybe, maybe. <laughs> and when you're, watching, when you're watching City, are you going, just, just don't score, just slip out. Come on, come on, you can do it. Is that starting to creep into the psyche no, a little bit? No, no, it's not, honestly. Uh, <laughs> it's just funny the way you describe it. Um, no, it's, it's I'm definitely not there yet. Look, I'm looking at the fixtures. We play Spurs, City play United after the international break. So I'm looking at that game, hoping that City thrash United, to be honest, because for me, the goal yep. is still top four. You know, I came into the season thinking that we could actually get a third place finish. You know what I mean? And I've I've been saying that all season only because I think the signings we've added, the way we're playing now, like it's been it's been seven really consistent performances. You know, the United game we spoke about, I, I, I thought we were a little bit unlucky not to go away from there with something at least. But the performances have just been outstanding. Like we're we're scoring goals, we're creating a lot of opportunities, we're sharp, and we look defensively solid as well, which is even uh, even more promising to see. So, nah, I'm definitely not thinking of a title charge. If we can, listen, if we get fought, I'll be happy, to be honest, because it means we're back in the Champions League, and that's all I want, you know. But looking at the way we've started, and considering the window we've had, I'm, I'm expecting us to get a top three finish, honestly. I guess I want to I want to dwell on Arsenal a little bit because it is interesting. If we go back to last season and um, analyze, I guess the results there, you know, a lot of it um, stemmed against those smaller teams, especially where you drop unnecessary points, um, and it would just be like a, a cycle with Arsenal. A couple of good games, yeah, and then bang, they'd lose to some team in the bottom half. I go back to that first game against Brentford last season, albeit. Big challenges for you guys in that first game with COVID and injuries and whatnot. 
but it was the manner of your victory that surprised me on Sat- on Saturday um, when I watched that game. And I did watch or Sunday, should I say, Sunday evening in Australia. Nobody really goes to Brentford Stadium and kind of makes them look like they don't belong. And Arsenal did exactly that. Brentford did not have anything in that game. I've seen Liverpool struggle there. I've seen Chelsea be put to the sword, albeit they did win. I've seen City struggle there. Uh, Arsenal made it. They made them. It was a non-contest, that game, as far as I was concerned. That was the most impressive thing about Arsenal's performance. Um, And there's a clear thing I can see in the way that Arsenal are playing. It's a little bit City-like in their own little way. Um, It's City-light. City-light, yeah. Call it City-light. Yeah, you are right with that. You know, there's a there's an instantaneous trigger as soon as they lose that ball to hunt it in, in packs, and they do it quite specifically how they go about it. Um, and you can see that they're kind of moving in unison. So I think I pointed out that it was the manner of the victory, the way you put Brentford to the sword. So my question is, if you're saying you're not title contenders, what is it about the team that you think is lacking that won't get you all the way across the line in this season? I still think we have weaknesses in the team. Um, and I think a couple, of them, a couple of them were exposed against United. Gabriel at left centre-back, I don't think he's quite up to the standard. Like last year, you know, we looked at him and thought, wow, this guy's really, really good. But now when you have a player like Saliba next to him, who honestly, the boy right now is world-class, you know? That's how he's playing um, at the he moment. He is phenomenal. I'll just say he's, that. He's, yeah. he's, he's incredible. Like, he brings such a calmness. I feel so comfortable with him. It's the first time I've felt that way uh, about an Arsenal defender. Uh, as long as I can remember, bro, to be completely honest. Like, I know we, we had, like, players like Kosialny and Mertesaka, and they were decent players. But you always could tell something could go still go wrong at any time. You know what I mean? So... With Saliba, it's just like there's a comfort factor there where you know, even if uh, if someone goes past him, he's got that recovery speed, and then he's got that calmness to not dive in or be rash. Knows well, when to stay on me, his feet. He reminds me of someone, bro. And uh, when he first exactly, came to no, the similarities are there, bro. The similarities are crazy. He's so calm on the ball. Yeah, he's, he's he's quick on the on as you said. If he's beaten, he knows how to recover as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, nah, he's he's definitely got something about him. And uh, we need to tie him down to a long-term deal because he's only got two years left. Um, I think it's actually a year after the season. So, we need to tie him down to a contract. We've sent him on loan two, three times. There was said to be a little bit of friction between him and the club at one stage. So, I'm hoping we haven't, you know, ruined that relationship because this is this kid could be really special. So, but you raised a couple of really good points. Um you know, uh, when you were talking about the way that we're playing at the moment. And I think it's just a culmination of of what Mikel's been trying to do over the last few years. Um, and all the top teams, you know, people talk about how they attack City, how Liverpool attack. But the underrated factor with teams like that is how hard they work off the work ball when they the lose ball. it. You know, yep. that's something yep. that doesn't really get spoken about because they score these nice goals and they do that. People don't and see the hard work. Behind they don't it. see that. Yeah. They don't see it. And you you notice it as, you know, as those that watch the game closely, you can see that hustle, bro. And that's drilled into them. And that comes from the manager. You know, all the, mm. the top managers expect that. You can be good going forward. That's almost the easy part of it. But what are you going to be like when we don't have the ball? 
And to mm. your other point, beating the Brentfords, beating the Fulhams who were playing really well, going away to Sellers Park and winning, those are the games for me that get you top four. Now, if we can do that and we can start going to Old Trafford and winning, going to Spurs and winning, going to Anfield, maybe nicking a draw, you know, giving City a hard time and actually challenging them and nicking a point from them maybe at home, that's when I'll start saying the right title challenge, you know? Yeah. But for yeah, now, yeah. as long as we're taking care of these small teams, that's going to be good enough because I don't. I see uh, United slipping up at Brentford. I see uh, a Chelsea going away to Fulham and dropping points. I can see that happening the way they're playing. But we look like we're putting these teams to the sword at the moment. The so if we carry yeah. on, that's top four for me. You need to take care of those teams. Yeah, and I would agree with what you said. I think consistently beating or getting you know the the maximum amount of points against those smaller teams keeps you in that conversation not only of the four, but you know pecking at that top two, um, especially with the levels I guess Liverpool and City have set over this period of time. I think to break over, you have to take points away from home against those big teams, and I think that's with a little bit of. Um, not negativity, but uncertainty comes in with Arsenal is when they play those big games, have they got the characters to perform? Because it seems like now you have the, the team that's strong enough mentally to beat those smaller teams. But do you truly believe you can now take on the big boys when it counts and when the pressure's on? And maybe that's the, the missing the factor step. or something. That's that the will, next not, step. I yeah, think. not the missing yeah. factor, but the next step in the, in yeah. the, in the transformation of your team. Um, but you know what? Kudos to Arsenal for being patient with Arteta. I mean, there were times there mm. where, you know, if you ever watched Arsenal fan TV, those guys were <laughs> ready to uh, run and burn down the stadium to get rid of him. So One guy was selling uh, Arteta out t-shirts, I think, after we lost the, <laughs> after we lost the oh, UEFA, wow. what was it? The, the final we lost, or semi-final oh, the Europa we League. lost of- Villarreal, I think it was Una Emery's team. So that was the narrative as well. Oh, we sacked Emery. <laughs> then we go and we lose to his team, Villarreal, you know. It was, oh, it was pandemonium in the fan base, bro, because you had people saying, oh, em- Emery was sacked for less. You know, that was the narrative going into it. And then we go and lose to Emery, and it was just chaos. But now I think overall, bro, when people really look back at it. I think Mikhail's done really, really well. You can you can break his 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 uh his tenure so far down into a few different brackets. You got the first six months where people say oh eight, eight, fifth. That's the narrative that you always hear with Mikhail, right? But the truth is he came in when we were eleventh on the table. He took us to eighth in six months and he won us the FA Cup. So yeah. people use that first eighth place as a stick to beat him with when in fact it yeah. was a very successful season. Successful considering season, we yeah. and we beat City and we beat Chelsea on the way to a FA Cup final, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's not and we couldn't beat big teams. We're talking about us slipping up against big teams. He did that in his first six months. Yeah. In the sec in his first full season he went in. We bought Thomas Party, was supposed to come in and be that midfield general that we've been mm. missing. He was injured the first six months. We go on an awful run. Then he comes back, Smithrow comes back into the team, he changes the shape. The next six months we got top two top three or four form in the league. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. So but then he finishes eighth again and then last season he got us fifth, which is a clear uh sign of progress. So that's how I sort of look at his tenure. And it's been it's been consistent and I'm not surprised with where we're at now. That's why I went into the season 
feeling pretty, pretty confident, confident because I, I could see the type of players he's got now that can implement the way that he wants to play. And even though United beat us, you can tell we're playing the game we want to play and they're having to make do with what they have at the moment until they get the right tools to implement the way Ten Hag wants to play. And it just shows that we're further along in our process. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely agree with that. It's been a clear... One of the things that um, I've seen from almost a dot is Arteta's had a, a style and a way in which he's wanted to play. He's, you know, he's he's stuck by it for the most part. And then he's brought the players in required to fit the system. Mm. I think people get confused sometimes. They think that any player can play any system when that is just not the case. Um, you see it on Twitter all the time. They specific, just throw names. Yeah. They, they just, just throw names. names that they throw out. We should sign yeah. this guy. We should sign that guy. Nah. Uh, when you understand the, the 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 tactical side of the game and kind of how teams set up structurally, you you understand that certain play. I mean, I see it at. It's funny. I always like to make it very simple. But if you even at grassroots football, there are players who are really good in certain systems. I know players that are better in a three-five-two than they will ever be in a 4-3-3 just because of the way you are set up. So that goes the same at the highest level. You know, it's why a player like, I talk about Trent Alexander-Arnold is so brilliant in Klopp's team. Mm. And yet when he goes to England and they change the way that they play there, he's not as effective. And then people, you know, question as to, the guy is, is very specific around the types of uh, formations he can play in. Not every player is adaptable to every formation. In fact, it's very hard to find players that are, mm. to be perfectly mm. honest. Mm. They're a rare and Liverpool, I think Liverpool are a great example of exactly what you're talking about because this team that Klopp's built, bro, you spend big money on Allison and you spend big money on Van Dijk. Other than that... The business that, that Klopp done to build this team, Mane, what, 30 some odd million for, from million. Southampton. Salah, 30 some odd million from Roba. Uh, Firmino came from Hoffenheim, I think it was, for, I don't know, million. 30 million. You know what I mean? That's the, that, and that's a, a great front line. That's going to go down as a legendary Liverpool front three, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he, he, 90 million in this day and age. For your front three. We <laughs> bought Lacazette for 50-something mil, Aubameyang for 50-something mil, and Pepe for 70 mil. That was the front three that we <laughs> had, bro. 170 mil. No one's ever going to remember that front three. Yeah. Exactly. You know, we'd rather forget it, in fact. So, yeah, 100%. Um, so it, it, that, that speaks to your points about getting players that fit the system. It's not just about going and spending and big because... Anyone. Van Dijk and Allison really, I, I believe they came in at, in the same season, if I'm not mistaken, without the last uh, Van, two pieces no, of the Van, puzzle. Van, no, Van Dijk came in January yeah. of 2018, and yeah. Allison came at the end of that season. So, uh, in so that he came six at the start, month, start of the next season. Yeah. yeah. So basically, in that six month period, I think those were just the two missing pieces because they were. My memory serves me right. That's when you guys really went to another level, you know? So. Correct. Maybe we're a Van Dyke and an Allison away from really going to where we need to be because I think the base is there. I think we got a really good balance and we got young, a young, hungry squad as well. And players that are now like Zinchenko and Jesus, 25, 26, really coming into their prime. So maybe we just need that Allison and Van Dyke type of signing to take us to the next level. I'll put it in perspective about Van Dyke, though. It's not like we signed him from 
Real Madrid or Bayern Munich. We signed him from Southampton. Bro. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I'd like to ca- ca- like chasm what you're saying and say that you may already have him in Salibi because from yeah. what I can see in that guy, you know, absolutely yeah, phenomenal player already. You just need maybe a reliable partner next to him. And maybe Gabriel mm. will turn yeah. out to be that partner as time goes on, or maybe it's someone else. But if we look at Matip, Matip is one of the most underrated defenders in the Premier League. Mm. If you honestly watch that guy, and as a Liverpool fan, it's not just... If you watch him, the compl- he, him and Van Dijk are best two centre-backs, hands down. There yeah. was a time when yeah. Liverpool supporters thought it was Gomez and even Kanate. When Matip is there with, next to Van Dijk, it makes a world of difference to our back line. Mm. Um, there's just a different element he brings to that game. So... Well, Maybe. I remember last at at a small period of last season, we were saying Matip looks like he's the best player in the team at the moment. Yeah, he yeah. Had that, he 100%. had that purple patch where he was like, "Wow, he's playing out of his skin." At one stage, I think we actually spoke about that on the pod. A hundred percent. So I don't think Arsenal are far off. You're a couple of players. I, I I go back to say the reason I don't think you will get all the way there is probably the same reason Liverpool didn't get there in 2013-14. Now, I know everybody talks about that slip, but really when I think about that team, I never once believed, probably up until that Chelsea game personally, I always felt like we were on this wave in the second half of the season that year where we won these games and there was ludicrous football because it was just, it was insane what I was watching half the time. Mm. And then, But there was something about the, the squad, we were conceding goals for fun. It was ridiculous. It was like basketball tennis, uh, basketball, football. But I always thought the squad isn't de- strong enough. Mm. There's like 14 players there and that's it. You're and talking like about Ars- pushing for a title challenge. A title challenge, yeah. And I'm yeah. trying, I, yeah. I think yeah. Arsenal are just lacking maybe three yeah. players, four players in the squad to take yeah. you across the line. Just to beef us up a bit, yeah. Beef yeah. you up a little bit more in case a couple of things yeah. happen here and there for a few games. So interesting times ahead. But I do want to talk about your your nemesis on the other side. You know, we have to start asking the question with these guys. And it's when does when does the strangeness of their victories become uh, applauded for the for the way that they're getting these results? Because I mean if you can be told that that is the worst six two in terms of result wise. Um, so not something that it w- look. I guess people are saying it wasn't a six two game. Yet Spurs won six two, and yet Spurs won again, which they seem to keep doing. I guess the question mark is this: Is there an element of luck, or is this just purely Conte playing the perfect football that he wants to play with this team? What are your thoughts on the matter? Yeah, I think it's um look if uh, I have to be I have to give them a little credit chat, don't I? You back me into a corner. In fact they <laughs> they back me into a corner, to be fair. They, have. I, they I mean, keep winning. They, they they do they keep winning, bro. So uh now nah, look, I think it's I think what we're seeing is um so Conte is known to be like a pragmatic manager, right? Keep it tight and hit when the opportunity arises. That's his style of management. And I think when you look at the players that Spurs have, they don't really have much creativity in midfield. In fact, they've what they've got Hoiberg, uh, they've got Bisuma, they've got you know those types of uh, hard midfielders that are just going to sit in there and do a job. So they really rely on the counter attack. And he's got two of the most efficient players on the counter attack, or just two of the most efficient players in general in the league in Kane and Son. You know. 
And they've been winning these games. And had Son scored before this game? This was his first goal on the weekend, wasn't it? And he scored a trick. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So it's like you've got all this. Um, I think it's just uh, the blend of those two things: Conte's pragmatism and you know how dangerous these teams have always been on the counter with players who can finish those chances now. And when you've got Kane and Son. You're going to get victories, you know. So, again, is it is it sustainable? Um, it got them into the top four last year, you know. And I think if they the way they're going at the moment, I think most people will say they're going to get top four as well at least this year. I think yeah. though, that's not sustainable to mount a title challenge yeah. because at no. some stage teams are going to catch Surely. you out. You know what I mean? You can't be nicking every game. And game, okay, this okay. wasn't a nicking, well, right? This was lose. 15 minutes did, of madness in this particular did, game. And they did lose to Sporting Lisbon in the They league. lost to Sporting Lisbon. Exactly. showed up their flaws, actually. And they, sh- they probably should have lost more. And you could say yeah. in the other games that they've won this season, those t- other teams should have probably capitalized because teams had so many chances against them. But they caught them on the break. They were clinical, they were efficient. And they got the results in the end. I don't think that way of playing is going to be sustainable. Um, like I said, for a title challenge. But top four, yeah, they look bang on at the moment. You can't deny that. You're on mute. Of course I am. What's really interesting about Spurs is, um, you know, I read this article and I thought it was really interesting. I might just read a few lines from it. If give me a minute. So it says, we absolutely cannot get our heads around this season's Spurs. They confuse us. We are confused, angry and confused. Angry and confused and tired and hungry. Spurs have a whole bunch of extremely good players that feels controversial to say, doesn't it? All over the pitch, really good footballers. Some of them are truly exceptional. The manager, he's absolutely excellent as well, isn't he? A brilliant coach. One of the best in the game. No question about it. But we've watched Spurs every game this season and our naked eye assessment is that they're really quite shit (laughs) (laughs) this is back i loved it the way they wrote it and then they go to say this is backed up by all manner of stats yeah because truly if you look at spurs right now they're they're level on points with manchester city you know a side that people are talking about is making a mockery of the league to an extent and only one point behind the greatest Arsenal team ever. No, none of which makes a single lick of sense. Here's an interesting stat from for 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 to, to understand Spurs. Only four teams have conceded fewer goals in them this season, and only Manchester City has scored more than them. They already have a five-point cushion over fifth place, and a seven points and eight points clear of Chelsea and Liverpool, um, respectively. The crazy thing about Spurs is, or I think the most efficient thing about Spurs is they actually give up the least amount of high-quality chances. So mm. though they give up some chances mm. here and there, in terms of like big chances, they yeah. actually give up the least amount. So they're giving, they give, that says to me that they're giving chances to teams that really are low percentage, mm. but they are creating high-quality chances. They're not mm. creating a lot of chances. They actually create... There's another stat in there that they create a pretty low amount of chances in a game, but the quality of the chances they create mm. is top-notch. I mean, look where Harry Kane's scoring from. He's scoring from half a meter out. Normally, yeah. Harry Kane is hitting bangers from outside the 18. Yeah. So, 
you can see the Conte effect there, giving up uh, or not giving up big chances, but creating really meaningful big chances and being clinical at the same time. Yeah, and when you mesh those two things together, what you're going to get is results. You're going to get results, correct. And that's what you're seeing uh, from Spurs. And look, ultimately, that's all you can judge teams on, I guess, is results, right? We can talk about the context of it. Um, We can talk about the fact that they should have conceded more here and there. Other teams dominated the ball, played on the front foot against them. They weren't really in the game. Um, but when you look at the look, when you look at the table, like you said, they're level on points with City, um, and they're one point behind us. And they, yeah, I don't know the confidence. I, I suppose with the results as well, the confidence grows. So you feel like you're going to go into right. the next game doing the same thing, right? So it's going to be up to us to burst their bubble, hopefully after the international break, and and bring them back down to earth a little bit. So um, if we can do that, let's see how they respond. But now you have to give them credit, bro. They 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 doing what they do, which is being efficient. So that's why they are where they are. So would you say right now your top four in your mind has changed? No particular order, but do you have a, a set of four teams that you think are are going to get there in the end? You know what? Uh, I don't know if I actually gave my top four earlier in the in the pods in one of our early episodes. I'm not actually sure if I did. Um. I was a little bit, I was actually really doubtful that Spurs were going to make the top four. If I'm being completely honest, going into the season, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to make top four. And I know everyone was saying top three. Some people even talking about title challenge, which I still think is ridiculous. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. But I would have to say I'd probably put them in my top four now um, as well. You know, I mean, obviously I've got the benefit of seeing how the season started. so I'd put them in my top four, along with us, uh, City and Liverpool. That's my top four, um, in no particular order. At this point, yeah, I won't press yeah. you for any orders, because I can't talk yeah. too much until we actually find ourselves again, <laughs> would be nice. <laughs> Just uh, hoping the cream rises to the top, as it yeah. uh, has in previous years. Um, yeah, I think with Chelsea, a um, little bit all over the place, to be honest, and you know, their owner seems to love the spotlight a bit coming out and saying that. We haven't that actually the, spoken uh, about Potter, by the way. Yeah, no, actually, it was, and this is probably the segue for it because we've obviously had uh, Bowley, you know, talk all things uh, as these uh, some of these American owners can do, very brash and throwing ideas about how the English Premier League can learn so much from the great American sports <laughs> um, and introduce all-star games and play oh, football on man. boats and all this sort of stuff. So, oh, look, uh, interesting times ahead. But, of course, one of the biggest decisions that he did take was to let go Tuchel and bring in uh, Graham Potter. What did you make of that appointment? Um, and I guess what do you think of it, not only from a Chelsea perspective, but the, from the manager himself? I hate it. Absolutely hate this appointment, <laughs> to be completely honest. And the reason you hate I it hate because it, it's a good appointment, or you hate it because I hate it because I really rate Graham Potter. I really, yeah. really rate him highly. You know, the, obviously the one question mark you're going to have is how is he going to manage the expectations and the big egos now that he's going to be dealing with. Very different managing Brighton, where you know the expectations are 
keep us in the Premier League, basically, right? He's massively overachieved with what he's done with Brighton. And listen, um, no one's writing in the papers about Brighton if they lose a game or go on exactly. a run, of, eight, oh, on a run exactly. of five games without a victory. No one's writing yeah. about them. So you, you, you're not going to you're not going to get that press with Brighton, but what you are going to get is Chelsea in the news every single day. You know, being critiqued, every move being watched. Um, you know, the press being all over them. You're gonna you're gonna get that. So how does he deal with it? Um, how does he deal with the big money signings, big wages, big egos? It's a whole different level, bro, going from Brighton to to Chelsea. So that's the only question mark you have over him. But in terms of the type of football that we've seen Potter coach, in terms of getting the best out of players or, or, you know, with the tools you're working with and really maximizing those players, bro. And he's, he's ID for talent seemingly because Brighton seemed to have an endless production of just these players that come out of nowhere, bro. And they end up selling on for big wages, you know? So his talent ID is excellent. Um, the, the, his philosophy on football is excellent because Brighton play you off the park. Brighton on their day can play anyone off the they park. They play most teams off the park. Exactly, yeah. bro. You know what I mean? Like they've they've definitely played us off the park at times. I remember they went to Anfield. I don't know if it was last year or the season before where they were superb at Anfield. Was it mm. last season? Uh, so there was a yeah. So half. So it was the game of two halves. First half we were two 0 up and blitzed them. Second half was a completely different game. Yeah, yeah and they yeah. came back and drew two all. One of and the games the, I see that cost us the title actually. Yes, and uh, so I, I, they've just had some excellent performances, bro. So you know his his way of Brilliant. coaching, and then he obviously he obviously done really well. Um, where was he in Os- in Norway? Ostersunds, I think Norway, he took them I from yeah. fourth division to the U to the Europa League or the Conference League or yeah. something, all the way into Europe. So look, his record is very impressive. I like him as a manager. I really really like him. I think it was always going to be a matter of time before big club comes in and. Uh, came in and swooped him up. So um, I would have liked it to see him go to England, to be completely honest, and see what he could have done as a as a national manager, just with his talent ID. And, you know, that would have been good to see. But I don't know, man. I'm, uh, I don't like it. I don't like it. Hopefully he falls under the pressure and, and Chelsea fade into oblivion. That's what I'd really like to see. But he's a <laughs> tell, good manager, I have to say. Tell the listeners how you really feel. What I was going to say, though, was... <laughs> Is Chelsea the right fit? Because, you know, Chelsea mm. are notorious for giving managers 18 months, pretty much. You look at their record, they, they've had something like, I, I've lost count of the amount of managers that they've had since uh, Abramovich took over. And I know Bowley is talking about changing, changing the game and changing the way Chelsea are. That's all well and good, but Chelsea are so used to a particular model that they do have right now um, that actually works. You can't question it. It the crazy thing about Chelsea, and it's a bit different, I, I always say football clubs are like businesses. If you have a CEO that's in total control of everything and doesn't allow any facet of the business to get involved in his decision-making, then when that CEO leaves, the whole place falls apart because nobody's learned anything. They've just followed one guy, and that's united to a T, I feel like, with Ferguson. I feel like Ferguson was the pinnacle there. Everything went through him. But there was nothing learned by anyone else, and the whole mm. ship went sinking when he when he came by. With Chelsea, they can change managers. I mean, for goodness' sake, Roberto Di Matteo has the Champions League winners' medal as a coach. Avram Grant was right up there. So 
when you think about them, it's really irrespective of the manager at times, and they can just chop and change. So is Potter going to be afforded the time, you feel, to implement his philosophy? If that takes an Arteta or a Klopp time to get to that point, do you think he's going to be afforded the same time at a club like Chelsea? Look, I, I think we're going to have to judge Bowley on what he does now moving forward. I mean, you know, Chelsea do have that history of getting rid of managers in a heartbeat. If things aren't going right, they'll, you know, they'll get rid of them. Like we've seen that happening over and over again. But that was under Roman. Um, you know, Bowley's come in. He's, he's saying all these things uh, that sound like he's planning more long term. He's talking about replicating what RB have done with their teams and, um, you know, Manchester City, Manchester City model as well, where they've got these sort of feeder clubs and, you know, getting young players in and things like that. And he's, I mean, he's we saying can't, all we can't these forget, things. We can't forget, Wade, that he, he um, you know, and kudos for, for the research and knowledge, but, you know, they did produce Mohamed Salah and Kevin De Bruyne in the academy yeah. as well. Yeah, you know? exactly. But, yeah. Phenomenal stuff there from Pauli because yeah. they did not produce Kevin De Bruyne and Salah. They signed him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, he didn't he propose a four four three to uh, to yeah uh, to Tuchel as well. So I mean, listen, uh, let's see. That, that's what I'm saying. He's he's talking. He's saying all these things, right? That he's uh, that sound like he's he's got it sussed for the long term, and you know that's yeah. the vision and things like that. So. I guess time will tell, bro. Let's see what happens when Potter hits a bad run of form and, you yeah. know, the players the might be throwing their toys. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and some of the bigger egos start throwing their toys out the pram. You know, Obama Yang rocking up to Chelsea versus Liverpool late because he got stuck in traffic. Yeah. Um, let's see how he know, deals with, with those too, sort of things. Obama Yang can just go off on the cuff and never come back. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, that'll be the um, most interesting thing. That I don't know, we see, man. It's going to be interesting is, um, to see how he handles the challenges that, he will tell. face with time his time at, at Chelsea. And I think it'll be interesting if Bowley does give him the the time because one thing we've learned is that when the natives get restless, will Bowley actually have the the steel to stick to to his guns? Because there's no doubting that Potter is um, is a brilliant brilliant coach, and um, I think given the time, he can make things happen. The question is whether he will actually be given the time at all um, in terms of um, molding his team as he sees fit. Well, that was a, a really interesting conversation there, uh, Wado, but um, I guess we'll have to look at it into the next couple of weeks. We obviously now got the international break, the last international break before the, the Summer World Cup takes effect. And of course, um, it, it raises its challenges along the way. But we come back into the North London derby, into that uh, first week after the the international break, a nice early kickoff, of course, um, and a full round of fixtures. Um, probably some of the standouts, you know, Liverpool at home to Brighton. I guess it's interesting to see what they do over there. We've got Chelsea away at Crystal Palace. And, of course, we've got the, the Manchester derby with the City and, and United playing each other as well. So... Really interesting set of fixtures we're going to go into in that in that phase um, once this uh, uh, international break is over. With. I guess I'll ask you uh, just before we probably finish off for the evening. But what has been your your standout learning? I guess and not just with your team, but what has been the most interesting thing up until this international break that has occurred in the Premier League? It might be a new team coming up. It might be uh, 
a new manager implementing his ways. It, it could be anything. What, what's been your standout moment or, or piece of uh, piece of entertainment in these first seven to eight games? Um, oh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I thought Brighton have been flying, you know, since uh, since the beginning of the season. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond now. Because, uh, you know, obviously with Potter going, um, yeah, who knows who comes in there. Fulham have been a pleasant surprise as well. Uh, everyone was talking about Mitrovic. Can he replicate the goals in the Premier League? He's been here before. He didn't do it. Um, and he's been he's been a machine. But I think the standout story so far has to be Erling Haaland. Uh, <laughs> the kid uh, just looks like he's from another planet, bro. And... You actually see now defenders are terrified of him. That goal that he scored on the weekend, that should have never been a goal, you know? Never. If it was any other never, striker in the never league. Never been a goal. Yeah, never. if it was any other striker in the league, like the defender would have closed him down. There would have been a bit more pressure on him. But the defenders are, are absolutely shitting themselves when they see this guy running at them. And he stood off, he stood off. And the keeper was probably nervous as well because he didn't even strike it cleanly. <laughs> it was it's a like rubbish shot. It. Yeah. yeah. And... um excuse me, he scoffed it and then it still goes into the corner. Um, and bro, it looked like it happened in slow motion it watching did, that really goal, did. right? I was like, because did that goal really go in? That's what I'm saying. And, uh, and, and that speaks to him. He's already scored some crazy goals. Um, obviously that acrobatic one, but what about the ball from Cancelo, by the way? Oh, that goal, absolutely eh? brilliant. Gee was. I think um, the, look, I know that they talk about that goal of, of, um, of Rooney's. Uh, uh, yeah, no, uh, uh, Holland, the actual yeah. goal. I think the assist is way better the than ball. the goal, personally. Yeah. I mean, yeah. listen, outside of the foot, put it on the spot <laughs> on for a you, plate. bro. You know, yeah. and you know when you when a, when an O plays that ball, and it's like he's not playing it to the man; he's playing it no, into the space. The you know what I mean? Spot. Yeah. And and that space from from where Cancelo was was on the other side of the defender, <laughs> bro. And he hits it with the outside of his foot, like the, the techers. I mean, the the I nerve mean, to even attempt that, bro, is just like, wow, phenomenal. man. That's, phenomenal. And that's been Cancelo's story at City, by the way. He's been one of the best fullbacks. In, I don't even know if he's a fullback. He's uh, more of a, a mid... He's, well, he's this inverted fullback that Pep plays with. But that's you can probably Pep put does. that out anywhere yeah. on the field, bro. And, oh, uh, he's technically so sound. Oh, like I remember when they gosh. signed him, it was a bit of a struggle for him to settle in at first, as I'm sure it is, trying to get you know used to Pep ball and Pep way of playing. It was interesting. I was listening to a... I was listening to Thierry Henry uh, talk about his time at Barcelona under Pep. And he was, um, he was talking about this moment. He got he was on the field, and you know he started really drifting towards where Messi was, and mm. spoke mm. about this goal he scored. And he's like, "Oh yeah, we scored this goal and everything." And he's like, "Pep came to me at halftime and told me, don't I ever do that again?" And hooked me. <laughs> and I realized in that moment, like, goodness me, that is how precise Pep is with the way that he plays and yeah. the expectation he has on his players. You know, there's no going out and kind of doing your own thing. It's an exact science, but um. Yeah, interesting Amazing. times ahead. I guess I can't, I can't, um, I can't deviate from what you said. I think Haaland, um, the way he's gone about his business and the amount of goals he scored, I'm sick of seeing the guy's name on the score sheet. It's also a little bit depressing as a Liverpool supporter because obviously we've had our struggles and Salah hasn't been as prolific as he's normally has been, which 
I don't think just put down to him. I put down across the team as a whole. A lot of players away from there. So if I'm if I'm going to give Haaland a tick and say he's probably been the standout from an individual perspective, I'd say from the other side, Salah's probably been the most disappointing. But so have Liverpool, to be fair, as a team. Um, I think the surprise, if I talk about team, I have to give it to you, to you boys. I think the, I'm not surprised that you're better than last season. I'm just surprised that after seven games, you are above Manchester City and you've only lost one game and you actually look really good. So that's surprising. Whether you can maintain that form, I'm not 100% sure. But definitely the standout in those first seven games to me have been the way in which Arsenal have played um, more than anything else. I think from the opposite end of the table, the thing I didn't see coming in such horrible, dreadful relegation form oh, is Leicester City. Yeah. Um, mate, they are seven with zero wins and on one point. They are literally already struggling to get out the relegation zone and they look like they are going to get spanked every week. There is surely no way that Brendan Rodgers can actually survive any longer. You know, he gave a talk after that Spurs game that sounded very defeatist. Mm. Um, and I don't know where it's all gone wrong with this. I mean, look, they haven't backed him in the transfer window for whatever reason. Clearly, the the purse, the purse strings are tightened, but he must be a dead man walking, surely. Yeah, that's uh, that's been a big surprise, man. And, you know, the whole summer, I guess, sort of built up to this because you were waiting for them to make a signing and waiting for them to make a signing. And then it's like coming towards the end of the window and then it's the deadline day and just nothing happened. I think they ended up getting one signing over the line um, right at the end. Some uh, defender that hasn't even played yet. I don't think, I think he's injured. Um, so it just, it, it, it seemed to go from bad to worse. I don't, I really don't know what's gone wrong there. Maybe we'll find out after Rogers leaves. Um, but leaves, yeah, he's made yeah. some comments saying it's not the same club as, as when he joined. And, you know, when managers start saying things like that, it's you, you got to yeah. be thinking, all right, the end is near. So the end is near. Yeah. I don't know, man, who knows what's gone wrong there, but that's been shocking because you look at that group of players and they've got some talent in that team. They've got some real talent in that team. Indeed, he was very highly rated. Madison was really good last season. Um, you know, right throughout that team, they've got quality. So very surprising, bro. I don't know how much longer they can, they can go on. They've got Forrest at home next. So maybe Surely. he might have a run Jeez. of games coming up where he can dig them out of this hole if they are going to persist with them. But you think if there was a time to make a change going into the international break, two weeks, seven losses out of seven. I mean, of yeah, what's it? Five out of seven? Six, uh, yeah. six losses out of seven, one draw? Six losses, oh, yeah. Ridiculous, ridiculous. Yep. But I don't, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's happening though, bro. So it might be a bit more pain coming because I haven't heard any rumblings that they're getting rid of him unless you have. No, I haven't heard anything. I just, mm. yeah, based off this form, I'm not sure how you can still. They, and the, the thing is, um, you know, it's, I don't know. I think the Spurs game aside, a lot of the games have looked pretty poor, in, but the Spurs game they actually looked relatively good. And mm. then that, you know, the, the, the son madness that happened at that time kind of killed him off. But they are making rudimentary dis mistakes. And once mm. you start making those silly mistakes, um, if you go look at those Spurs goals, some of them was just caught in possession, dilly-dallying on the ball with acres yeah. of space, uh, you know, and they are one of the worst teams from set pieces. So I think Spurs scored like two or three goals from set pieces. So, 
it's just a, it's a it's a it's a recipe for disaster for them. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, plenty of uh, action, no doubt. But that does bring us to an end, of course, to our podcast for the week. It's been an absolute pleasure. We have missed you, Rudds, wherever you are. If you are driving and still going, please keep driving safe. Um, but Wade did have plenty of the airways today and uh, got to talk a lot about his Arsenal team and, of course, his other love spurs. We cannot forget about them at all. But it's been a pleasure bringing you another episode of What the Football Podcast. Uh, catch us on all the socials. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at What the Football Pod. And of course, you can catch all our episodes on Podbean and, of course, uh, Apple Podcasts. Until next week, we'll catch you all then. Have a great week. Uh-huh.